the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. January 15th, 2021. Bear with me here. I'm going to go a little historical, but I'll bring it right up to our present crisis. 234 years ago tomorrow, the Virginia legislature passed the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, authored by Thomas Jefferson. Its importance cannot be understated, though. It is too frequently and commonly forgotten. Understanding its import gets us to some of what we discussed yesterday, the embrace or re-embracing of our natural rights, understanding of our founding, and thus our conservatism. It states, quote, No man shall be compelled to frequent or support any religious worship place or ministry whatsoever, nor shall be enforced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods, nor shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief, but that all men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinion in matters of religion, and that the same shall in no wise diminish, enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. It also states, And though we well know that this assembly elected by the people for the ordinary purposes of legislation only have no power to restrain the act of succeeding assemblies, constituted with powers equal to our own, And that therefore to declare this act to be irrevocable would be of no effect in law. Yet we are free to declare and do declare that the rights hereby asserted are of the natural rights of mankind. And if any act shall be hereafter passed to repeal the the present or to narrow its operation, such as would be an infringement of natural right. Close quote. Do we understand how important and fundamental those two provisions are? In understanding our founding as the best regime, Harry Jaff- as Harry Jaffa did, because we wedded civil liberty to religious liberty, he wrote, The social contract theory of the Declaration of Independence and the doctrine of religious liberty in the Virginia Statute, both authored by Jefferson, are two sides of one coin. The rights with which all men are by nature equally endowed qualify any man to enter into agreement with any other man to form a civil society. Much of this understanding, we will see, is precisely what informs so much of our abhorrence to mob rule and anarchy, something we conservatives have understood and been talking about for a long time, something the left only uses when convenient and as a battering ram to attack conservatives. I borrow liberally from what Harry Jaffa wrote here. In the single sentence that is the First Amendment, the religious guarantees come first. The guarantees after the semicolon, speech, press, assembly, petition, are all active elements in the political process and are intended to provide for its integrity. Freedom of religion is understood to be necessary for the integrity of the political process in the negative sense that such questions as what religion should be established would be an intolerable burden on that process. Civil and religious liberty are distinct, yet it is good that we regard them as inseparable. Their bonding is in a peculiar sense the achievement, exclusive achievement or original achievement of the United States of America. 
The constitutionalism of our founding is inseparable from its moral realism and natural theology. Tocqueville, Alexis de Tocqueville, praised the effect of disestablishment in America and called religion the first of our political institutions precisely because of that. By removing theological differences from the political arena, men could worship God freely according to the dictates of their consciences. But however differently they might conceive of the divine attributes or however different the forms of worship, which in their eyes were pleasing to God, there was a common understanding of morality underlying or transcending religious differences. By strengthening our moral consensus, disestablishment promoted confidence and even friendship among citizens. By doing so, it promoted a regime in which the rule of the majority might be consistent with the rights of the minority. In the Virginia, in the Virginia statute, it states, quote, Our civil rights have no dependence on our religious opinions any more than our opinions in physics or geometry. While the Virginia law of 1786 applied only to Virginia, its argument became in time the basis not only of federal law, but the law of all 50 states. It was clear to the founders that a system of majority rule was impossible if the majority had the power to decide in what way its citizens would worship God. No Catholic could be compelled by a majority to become a Protestant or vice versa. No Jew could be compelled by a majority to become a Christian or vice versa. Only by removing all such questions of religious belief from the political process was government by majority rule possible. A man's relationship to his maker ought to be exempt equally from the fears and temptations of politics. Pope John Paul II once put it that the fundamental right to religious freedom is the guarantee of every other human right. But we are not in that place now, are we? Not today. Religious belief and practice has been scorned. And so, too, the notion of majority rule and minority rights, especially minority political rights, the first of which is not only religion but speech. I can't help but think some of the scenes and talk we see out of Washington, D.C., and the warnings about violence are being used in part to put a further mark on conservatives, a mark of Cain, that prospective violence is all our fault, almost as if the show of force and National Guard are there to protect Washington, D.C., from just Republicans and conservatives. But again, my memory runs a little longer than 10 days ago. It runs at least to two and a half months ago, November. Anyone remember all the stories about stores boarding up in advance of the election? If you go back and read the stories, there are a ton. It's rather quaint that they don't mention the one obvious thing the businesses were worried about. But having gone through the summer of love, $2 billion worth of damage, the businesses were worried about riots if Donald Trump won and not from his supporters. The New Yorker wrote in November, quote, It is not a promising sign for democracy that New York City prepared for a presidential election as if it were a hurricane. In Manhattan, as Tuesday approached, entire blocks were shuttered, close quote. The New York Times wrote this, quote, the windows of Saks Fifth Avenue and the iconic Macy's and Herald Square, which have wowed tourists for decades, were boarded up on Monday morning. Soho, where trendy shoppers once flocked to glittering stores, echoed with the sound of hammers and power saws. The sidewalk outside the Disney store in Times Square was filled not with captivated children, sporting mouse ears, but with workers attaching plywood to the storefront. 
On the eve of Election Day, stores in New York City's best-known shopping district, eerily hushed in the face of a global pandemic, were boarding up their windows for potential unrest tied to a bitterly contested presidential race, close quote. The story then described similar scenes in California and other states. The story, however, only gave the slightest of indications of where the prospective rioting and looting would come from. Quote, some businesses in New York City are particularly on edge and bracing for another potential blow, given a brief rash of vandalism and looting that took place at the beginning of protests over the summer, close quote. It then mentions one BLM protester who was arrested. But that's still pretty rich, a brief rash of vandalism and looting. It was six riots a day for three months. Blazing fires, hundreds of cops injured, 30 people killed. And Chris Cuomo saying, who said all protests had to be peaceful? And very little, if any, discernible denunciation from Democratic Party leaders. In fact, the incumbent vice president said the protests, knowing well what they were turning into, should not stop and helped bail out those who were arrested. But today, as the transfer of power takes place in Washington, D.C., all the worry and all the show of force... Show of force Nancy Pelosi condemned last summer, the show of force she condemned last summer, is said to be needed because of Republicans or conservatives or supporters of the president because they're violent. I'm for, and we have all long been for, law enforcement, peace, tranquility, non-riotous behavior, the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. That's why we all denounced so strongly what happened last week. But let us not ignore the effort here, a permanent mark of Cain, that we conservatives are dangerous because our words are dangerous, that we are violent as our words constitute violence. It started last week by charging Donald Trump with incitement to violence by a standard that has never been used before, ever. And it started a lot earlier with the claims of speech as violence when the speech is conservative on our campuses. Here's the deal. Speech is not violence. Violence is violence. Mobs and anarchy and looting and rioting have long been denounced by us, not just last week, not just last summer, but as far long back as history goes. Law and order were part of the Goldwater campaign, the Nixon campaign, the Reagan campaign, and the Trump campaign. So we come to a sad and grave irony. While Donald Trump was impeached for incitement, one of those arrested in last week's violence is the founder of an organization called Insurgents USA. Go to their website. When you go to that organization's main website, the immediate video that comes right up, their promotional video on the home page, is a boastful and scary-looking man in front of a mob burning the American flag. Under that video in bold lettering, is the phrase, join the revolution. That was always their language and their behavior, not ours. We want to save the original revolution based on natural rights. They want to change it. In fact, starting with changing the date, not us. And so the irony, all the implications and imprecations against our movement writ large for inciting violence. And so with the arrest of the founder of Insurgents US, USA, you have imperfect relief all the left wants us to forget and yet cannot quite 1984 memory whole like eradicate the toleration of political violence that led to everything Lincoln warned about, that we've warned about. 
the acceptance, acceptance of two forms of justice and law. As Lincoln put it, the lawless in spirit are encouraged to become lawless in practice and have been used to no restraint, but dread of punishment, thus they become absolutely unrestrained. Having ever regarded government as their deadliest bane, he says, they make a jubilee of the suspension of its operations and pray for nothing so much as its total annihilation. While on the other hand, good men, men who love tranquility, who desire to abide by the laws and enjoy their benefits, who would gladly spill their blood in the defense of their country, seeing their property destroyed, their families insulted, and their lives endangered, their persons injured, and seeing nothing in prospect that forebodes a change for the better, they become tired of and disgusted with a government that offers them no protection and are not much averse to a change in which they imagine they have nothing left to lose. Close quote. Abraham Lincoln, 1838. What we were quoting all last summer. Lincoln warned against this. Those were his words. We've warned. And because the warnings went unheeded, the final irony is it is we conservatives, we who took this the most seriously, who are now being blamed for violence, all of us, don't let's let them get away with it. And while at it, maybe we should all hand out Tom Cotton's New York Times op-ed that led to such an internal combustion at the paper that the editor was fired. Do recall what it was about, using federal force to put down riots. But then again, those riots were much longer, much bigger, much more widespread, and much more supported by Democrats. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. You, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> What's really, really very funny <laughs> is I was prepared to come into this segment to say, do you ever have coworkers or colleagues about whom you can say they're really on their game today and you can tell they're really on their game? I was going to say that about producer Bill. He's really on his game today. He was talking a good game is what he was doing, but he's on his, he's on a good game. He's, he's balancing a lot. I, um, I, he, I put him in a good mood when I walked in. Because I yelled at him, 5150. And he didn't miss a beat. And he said, Van Halen? And I said, Yeah. And he said, What shall we do with it? And I said, Play it. And he said, Okay. And he, it put him in a good mood because anytime I give him music that's later than, say, 1979, it makes him happy. Uh, how 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 was fifty one fifty on my well? I, a week or so ago, I was making fun of my friend Gil for not knowing who Warren Zevon was, and I was talking to him last night, and he was he was having a good day too, and was just telling me about how much better his night was made when his other friend Rico walked in and they were playing music from the old Van Halen album fifty one fifty, and I said, "Gosh, that is an underrated album." So uh, thinking about uh, losing Eddie Van Halen last year, wanting to redeem my friend Gil, who really does know his Van Halen and uh, was good to bring it up. We're going to be playing some 5150 today. That was the name of their album. I guess it was the name of Eddie Van Halen's studio is where that name came from. Also part of the California Penal Code 
for mental health disturbances, but none of that here. Anyway, if you hear a little extra 5150 instead of Elvis, for example, that's why. Long way around it. Anyway, we have a lot to do today. I don't know how long, how many of you uh, get, I was going to say subscribe, but it's free. Receive, that would be the, my dad said never use the word get, use the word receive. I don't know how many of you receive in Primus the monthly publication from Hillsdale, but I got mine in the mail today and it's perfectly timed. Orwell's 1984 and Today, written by Larry Arne. Uh, if you read it, you'll find something interesting there, um, maybe ringing a bell. Larry Arn quotes Harry Jaffa in his piece. You hear me do that just about, I don't know, 30 times a show. But the reason is he was both of our teachers. That's why um, we're both Jaffa babies. But Larry's essay, Orwell's 1984 and Today, it's perfectly timed. And I suppose if you don't receive it, I think it's available online. And I want to get into some of what he talks about. But it's, of course, talking about the totalitarian moment we're in and the difference between totalitarianism as we now know it and um, tyranny, as Aristotle wrote it. And then, of course, it goes into George Orwell. It goes into the changing of human nature, the campaign the left is on, and the misunderstanding of American history. In a few pages, it does everything we've been talking about for a few years, and it's the right medicine, which is why I understand really easily why people whose children get accepted to all kinds of colleges and Hillsdale choose Hillsdale. Um, there, if I had a high school senior, I don't know what I'd recommend uh, as far as a college except for Hillsdale at this point. I don't know if I'd recommend college. Dennis Prager is of the belief that it's not necessary. Uh, Bill Bennett wrote a book on it, on, on, on whether college is a good idea or not. And I think we're increasingly coming to that view. When you see the kinds of hijinks that goes on, the kinds of things that are taught, the kinds of students they produce, and the story out of Harvard today, do you see what Harvard has said today? There's a, there's a, there's a petition amongst the students there to have Harvard retract, retroactively take back degrees conferred upon people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, conservatives. Is Ben Shapiro in that list too? I'm not sure. But certainly senators like Hawley and Cruz who have hard degrees, they want to take him back. Probably Cotton, I imagine as well. He's, he's a Harvard boy, has a Harvard degree. The, the notion of how they keep attempting to eradicate us from the public scene. I almost would tell Harvard to take their degree back if I had a Harvard degree. If a college gave me a degree that I earned and wanted to take it back, I'd let them have it. Take it back. I'd take it back. I, I, why would you want to be affiliated with a club that doesn't want you as a member? Is there anything special about Harvard? Right now, I can't think so. I can't think of anything special about it. Be right back. You never know when you're going to hit something culturally, when you're going to strike a chord. 
a mystic chord of memory, as Abraham Lincoln might have called it. Rob writes in, great album, 5150, loved dreams, good enough, and especially best of both worlds. Well, we'll probably have time to get to all of it. Anyway, uh, that's one piece of entertainment. Entertainment and edification, of course, too. I want to put in a word for this great documentary, Porta CEO, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain. Uh, he was someone else we lost last year. I, I knew Herman fairly, fairly well for, for a short period of time. And uh, whenever he walked into a room, it wasn't love walking in, but it was just happiness. I mean, this guy was walking happiness. You know, he um, he grew up from the poorest of the poor and lived the American dream to become the CEO of one of our most famous companies or recognizable companies in America. What a great life. Ran for president, great radio host, uh, hard, hardworking man, always improving himself. And it really is one of the more inspirational, entertaining films that was produced this past year. It's available exclusively at SalemNow.com. From poor to CEO, the incredible journey of Herman Cain, poor to CEO. Dot com at SalemNow.com. Sorry, I, I said that all wrong. I'm sorry. Porta CEO, The Incredible Journey of Herman Cain, <laughs> available at SalemNow.com. But make sure to use discount code PHOENIX, promo code PHOENIX. Save 20%. Sorry, I bungled that up a little bit. You can follow me, hopefully. Uh, I am just I, – I, I can't say enough about this Larry Arne essay in Imprimus – We'll get back to news of the day in a second. Let me give out my number as well, 602-508-0960. Kurt Schlichter is going to join us at the top of the next hour. He put something on Twitter. I I don't know if a lot of people are saying this or not, if you're hearing it or if you're thinking it. It's a hard thing to talk about a little bit. But um, I was watching the news this morning. I noticed this yesterday. I noticed it yesterday, and then I was watching the news this morning. All this coverage of the security precautions for the inauguration next week and obviously these stories about the 20,000 National Guard troops and the mayor urging people not to come to D.C. and that sort of thing. There's this underlying tone I'm finding that seems to be saying we're doing all of this because of Republicans. Are, are any of you sensing that in the coverage of this? We're doing all of this National Guard locking down the city. It's as if Lincoln had to come into Washington under cover of night on a train because Republicans. Are you guys sensing and picking up on any of this? Almost as if the National Guard is being used to make a political point, almost as if. Anyway, that, that was the sense I had. Then I was going through my Twitter feed, and uh, Kurt Schlichter, uh, Kurt Schlichter um, was uh, tweeting much the same. And he's a guy that knows a little bit about all of this, especially having been a member of the Guard. So we'll talk to him uh, at the top of the next hour. Other than that, open line Friday, 602-508-0960. And I will get back to more of Larry Arn's essay. He was teaching a course, he says. He was teaching a course at Hillsdale on um, totalitarian novels. How much would you like to take that course? 1984, Darkness at Noon, Brave New World. 
That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. I think that's the only one of those I haven't read. I guess I should read it. Maybe we should read it together. Should we do a book course together on air? C.S. Lewis, That Hideous Strength? Maybe we should. Rick's in. You know what, Rick? I'm going into a break in a second. I'll come back to you on the other side of this break. Let me tease you with some of what you get in Larry Arn's latest essay, speech. Nature is ultimately unchangeable, of course, and humans are not God. Totalitarianism will never win in the end, but it can win long enough to destroy a civilization. It's a very important distinction and point. That is what is ultimately at stake in the fight we are in. We can see today the totalitarian impulse among powerful forces in our politics and culture. We can see it in the rise and imposition of doublethink, and we can see it in the increasing attempt to rewrite our history. We'll come back on that and more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Your show, 602-508-0960. Rick's in Phoenix. Hi, Rick. Hello there, my friend Seth. Thank you for taking my call. You betcha. How are you? I'm doing... I, I am. I was doing great all day until 3 o'clock. No, 3.05. And now I am doing absolutely fantastic. Oh, I like Seth. to hear that. That's nice. Of this you. show, this show is like a best of... The best of the best of. <laughs> From the Virginia Statute <laughs> you, of Religious Liberty to Van Halen. Yeah, you you have been hitting on all eight <laughs> cylinders, uh, <laughs> Seth. This is, the monologue was terrific, uh, talking about uh, Imprimus, uh, fantastic. Uh, and I do recommend Out of the Silent Planet, although if you haven't read all three of the Space Trilogy, you want to start with... Uh, I'm, I said out of the silent planet. I meant that hideous strength. Yeah. But out of the silent planet was the first one, then Perlandra, and then that hideous strength. Yeah, I don't know that uh, trilogy at all. I just don't, but I, I'll take a look. Yeah, it's uh, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. It was his space trilogy, and uh, very insightful, good stories, you know, uh, uh, short books. You can probably read uh, the first two at least in a in a day or less, and and uh, short books, but good insights and, and some really, really powerful principles on uh, dealing with various things. But the reason I'm calling, Seth, is because uh, your monologue reminded me of the uh, speech, uh, The and I can't remember his name. He's a new congressman from California. Uh, on Wednesday, he gave a speech uh, opposing the impeachment um, and the the pointed out. I mean, he just blew the lid off the whole corrupt, deceitful scam that this is. And, and he pointed out that there is no reason for impeachment. It is literally, totally because they hate Trump yeah. and his followers and everything that we stand for. And he, in, in just a, a few minutes, uh, he delineated. <laughs> All of the things that that Trump stands for and does that that the left hates, and that's the reason he says for this uh, impeachment business. The only worrisome thing I would add to it, and I think others gave voice to it too, is this new thing 
it wasn't enough to impeach Trump. And they knew they had a flimsy case, which is why they rammed it through so quickly, obviously, without any kind of hearing or testimony. We're now yeah. seeing. Uh, and as I said, this notion of incitement to violence, um, yeah. nowhere yeah. to be found, no, nowhere, nowhere, no justification in the history of our law that would consider this speech incitement. Uh, indeed, indeed, ironically, it comes the modern definition comes from a 69 Supreme Court case about a Nazi who did invoke who did implore people to march on Congress. And that wasn't considered incitement Uh, in any event. um, The 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 new effort, Rick, you know, this I want us all to know this is that they're tarring, you know. They are attempting to tar everyone who supports Trump. Right. As the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the worry. You look at what the effort is to have expulsions against fellow members of Congress. Uh, it's it's a very, very, very worrisome thing that's happening. AOC is talking about a, a truth commission for media, other organizations from Forbes magazine of all places to the Lincoln Project are talking about uh, threatening companies or withholding funds from companies or businesses from companies or boycotting companies that hire Trump administration employees. Uh, It's a very, very, very worrisome trend right now. It's almost like there's some kind of virus loose, isn't it? Well, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it really is. It's crazy. The things they are suggesting and promoting and doing, it's just astounding that in the land of the free, uh, where we have the Constitution and where we have the rights that we... Uh, that they want to exercise those rights, but they don't want to give them to you and me. Yeah, you know, when you go to... Uh, I, I think I mentioned this once. I was looking at... Um a few I, I think I went to marxist.org I think that's where I last got it but I was I was kind of investigating how communist organizations write about and think about free speech uh-huh because free speech is the enemy of totalitarianism um right. and when I talk about minority rights in a democracy or in a constitutional or republican form of government and Thomas Jefferson's continual evocation of minority and majority rights free speech freedom of speech certainly press but speech is the first of the rights that have to obtain for a minority to maintain their own rights yes and that allow for anything considered the consent of the governed but so i was curious how how totalitarian ideologies view view it or say they view it we know how they view it in practice we know in practice there's no free speech in places like china in places like the Soviet Union, there was no free. We know that. But how do they view it in theory? And what they do right, and they're pretty honest about it at these websites, is that we believe in the freedom of speech that supports the regime. Yeah. We believe in the freedom of speech that supports. So you could have a whole wide range of views. Uh-huh. That range just has to run basically from the publication of Rules for Radicals to the latest tract that Bernie Sanders or AOC put out. Yes. That's the range. That's the we range. are tolerant as long as you tolerate 
the right thing. Well, yeah, and that's why violence. In the, that's that. I'll talk about this a little later. That's why the, the when we complain about the double standard and hypocrisy of the Democrats mm-hmm. in denounce and not denouncing violence last year. Until we understand this wholesale retail problem, we're not going to get it right. We expect a standard that denounces, condemns mob violence. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. I mean, we're right, but it's wrong tactically because to them, it's not that retail problem of violence. It's what fuels it. It's the wholesale problem. That's why they can justify it. That's why Don Lemon could say earlier in the week, you can't compare the riots of last week to the riots over the summer. They were about two different things. One was about systemic racism and one was about a lie. Yeah. It's not the violence and the mob tactics that bother them or animate them or – are used to justify or denounce. It's the reason behind it. It's the wholesale purpose. So if you're um, protesting on behalf of Donald Trump last year, you, um, you're endangering the lives of others in a time of corona. Yeah. But yeah. if you are a mob marching for something like BLM or against systemic racism, you are a hero. Yeah. Because that, too, is public health racism. Thank you for shedding the light that you are shedding today. You are hitting on very important principles and points. I appreciate it, brother. Keep up the good work. You too, Rick. Thank you for everything. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Dana is in Chandler. Hi, Dana. Hi Seth, how are you doing? I'm okay, how are you? I'm I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm hanging in there. I have a few things to look forward to, so that you know gives you a reason to get out of bed every day and do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we got. It's we got, really important every morning when you wake up to think about what you have to look forward to. It's really important. Yes, yes, and and we found out that we get to look forward to being an exhibitor this year at the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. More puppies. That's great. That's great. Is that your first Westminster? Yes, I've never been. I've always wanted to go, and I've never been. And I'm, to go as an exhibitor is is such an honor. Well, you'll keep us posted. I I will. Yeah. I will. You and you know you. Your previous caller was right. You've hit on a couple of things today that have really hit home with me. And one of them, after you said it, I, I like. Do you remember the old V8 commercials when you'd bonk yourself over yeah, the head? Yeah, should have had a V8. Bonk myself over the head. Yeah, because you said, why would you be, want to belong to a club that doesn't want you? Yeah. And I've been fighting with my all-breed club for a long, long time. And wh- why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I just be like, they don't want you. Why, why would you want to do that? And so you got me with that. that we was all like, have oh, that, that experience, like, oh, though. But we all have that experience at so different or some points of our lives, you know. As a conservative on campus, sometimes I, I, I think, you know, students might try and, you know, make a policy that will be more well. But it becomes clear, you know, you're here for four years. They don't want you. They don't want that. And I want people to think more about that. Do they want to spend four years fighting someone that doesn't want them? Right. And, and, and even if you achieve something under that, it's hard to be proud of it because they don't want you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was that was it was it was a big light bulb aha moment for me. And then when you were talking about the optics of twenty thousand troops being in D.C., I think it's bigger than just the Republicans. I think it's anybody that doesn't support Biden. And my fear is that they've called us domestic terrorists. They've called us deplorables. When you do that and Racist, you begin white to dehumanize, yeah, 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 xenophobic, yeah, claustrophobic, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you dehumanize mm-hmm. and and you know for everybody on the left that's been screaming Trump is a Nazi, Trump is a Nazi. It's very pre-Holocaust Germany-ish when you can take an entire group of people and dehumanize them with names like that, and then the optics of a giant army having to be there when you put this person in office who's supposed to be a popular person right. supposedly won the vote right. and overwhelming the, the ethics would say the absolute opposite i know it looks really eerie we're going to talk to kurt schlichter about that coming up you're free feel free to call back too if you want dana if you have a further thought on it after we talk to him and then happy to take other calls as well no one go away do i hear the music yes i do we'll be right back <laughs> 